0: everyone. Welcome to Cypress Bible Church. Let's stand together as we worship our Lord and Savior this morning. We're going to sing about His amazing grace. Let's sing together.
1: Who breaks the power of sin and darkness, whose love is mighty and so much stronger. The King of glory, the King above. Takes the whole earth with holy thunder, and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King of all kings. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you will take my way. And you would bear my cross You would lay down your life That I would be set free Jesus, I sing for all that you've done Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes it orphan a son? You would carry my cross Oh, you would lay down your life That I would be set free Oh, Jesus, I sing for All that you've done for me Worthy is the land was slain the king who conquered the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And worthy is the king who conquers the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And worthy is the king who conquers the grave. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love, and You would take my place, and You would bear my cross, so You would lay down Your life, and I would be set free. i so sing for all that you've done for me This song I would think about that. Let's tune in our hearts for worship and let's bring it to the Lord. So you're sure. Sing with me. Here we go. Come thou, count of every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never cease. Me. Call for songs of love.
2: I'm Brian Carroll, executive pastor. My privilege to welcome you this morning. Cypress Bible Church, we say, beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus. So, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we're glad that you're here and hope you will join us and continue on that pursuit of becoming more like Jesus. There are about four things that we focus on here at Cypress that's to gather together uh, for life changing worship. That's what you're here to do this morning. It's grow, and we think the best way for you to grow is to get involved in some sort of smaller community, a smaller group. We have men's groups, women's groups, couples, and groups for single people. And so if you're uh, in uh, interested in finding out more about groups, you go out through these doors and to your left, and I can meet you after the service out there this morning and talk about the different group options. The third thing is that we feel like uh, we have a responsibility to go, take the good news of Jesus to others. You and I are, are aware of Jesus because others have faithfully done that before us. And so we get to be part of that, spreading that to the current and future generation as well. And uh, we always have all kinds of different opportunities for you to get to know involved in that. And then finally, to serve. We think it's important that We use our God-given gifts, talents, and abilities to serve others as God has gifted us. And um, and so we invite you to be part of our community here, and uh, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, If you are a brand-new visitor, on the back of our pews, uh, there's a little QR code that you can scan that'll connect you into a form so that you can let us know about you and things that you might be interested in. we gives us a way we can connect back with you about information about our church. Um, We have a couple of announcements. Uh, We are in the middle of Uh, The struggle is real, and uh, last week we talked about fear, and this week we're going to talk about how to live at peace with others. In this world where we live with so much conflict and tension, whether that's in your family, whether that's in your community, whether that's politically, as we see our world is in lots of tension and conflict, today we're going to look at what some God's wisdom will be about how to live at peace with others. Uh, Jonathan Chang will continue to lead us in the rest of this series, and this is week two of six in that series. Um, Also, uh, you can pick up booklets if you haven't done so already out in the foyer. Take sermon notes in. That has some Things you can do in your own personal study, and we also think it's important if you can be part of a group. And so you can go out that same place to the left out there, and I'll meet you, and you can find out how you can be part of a group. And it's not too late to join. So we encourage you to give that some consideration. A couple other things on your way in, you may have received a CareNet bookmark. If not, they're out there on your way out. Uh, we believe that God values all life, and so we are part of supporting the CareNet ministry here at Cypress Bible Church. Nanda Kirkpatrick, actually the director, is a part of our church as well, and. You can see on the back there that CareNet assists women whatever stage they're in, whether it's an unwanted or unexpected pregnancy or whether it's someone who's been dealing with the issue of trauma that they've had after an abortion or any of those sorts of things. And so pick up one of those bookmarks and we encourage you to pray for that ministry. And we'll be sending out a video later today, which just focuses on scripture and the value that God has placed on life. And so you should receive that in your inbox. Uh, two other quick announcements. Both of these are love-centric. One is called Filled with Love. It's a women's ministry event on a Tuesday, or Thursday, I'm sorry, February 3rd. Uh, and it is a time, it says it's a relaxed evening filled with fellowship food and fabulous stories and we'll focus on our go ministry and so we encourage you uh, to look at that women that's a women's only event um, if you go out the foyer and to your left everything's going to go out and to your left I guess you go out in the left you'll see there's a women's alcove and you can pick up a flyer to let them know how uh, if you're interested in coming you can sign up to do that and then if you go down one more kiosk down that and this is an event that is on February 12th it says Valentine's Fellowship of the Swing, and people said, what is Fellowship of the Swing? It's the name of a band, and so it's what that is. So anyway, um, and so uh, you can come to that event, and that event is open to all. You can come as a couple. You can come as a single. So uh, you just, it's open to anyone who'd like to come, but if you go out the door and to your left, you'll also see that the, the flyer down there, down the hall, gives you information of how you can sign up for that. Would you join me today in praying that God would just lead us and guide us as we worship him? Lord, thank you for the privilege we have to gather together. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of worshiping you. Lord, thank you for the provision and the possibility of being called your children. Lord, as we worship you, Lord, today, we pray that you would be honored. And Lord, we, uh, we come uh, seeking you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Beginning where we are, becoming more like Jesus. I've been around here for a number of weeks past couple of months and uh, I've heard that phrase so many times and I love that so much because it talks about what it's really all about to be part of a church and it's a great it's a great theme for us to follow here part of how we become more like Jesus we all want to do that right we want to become more like Jesus part of how we do that is we get together in a setting like this and we worship together we do things uh, together, that we can't do by ourselves. And so, worshiping together is one of those things. When we're together and we sing, we remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news. We remind ourselves that Jesus did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that He took our place on the cross. He died for us so that we could be in a good relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father, our Creator. So, right now, we have an opportunity to um, just respond to Him about that. We're going to sing in thanksgiving and worship. As Blythe leads us in this song, it's called Thank You, Jesus. Let's stand together.
2: your truth this morning as we consider your call to peace in living with one another. Lord, help us to see those broken places in our hearts that drive us towards sinful thoughts and speech and actions. We praise you, Lord, as the only one who's able to heal that brokenness and bring us to true love and peace. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: You can be seated.
3: Good morning. Golly, I, lo- I love I just I love worshiping with y'all. This is this is exactly what God intended when He created the church, and what a privilege to be a part of this church family. You know, we are in this series called "The Struggle Is Real," where we are dealing and discussing lo- six, six six tough questions, life's difficult questions, and I'm glad we're doing this, and we're not just answering them, we are answering them in a biblical manner as well. Therefore, we are depending on the Lord for answers and not ourselves. And today, we're going to talk about what do I do or how do I live at peace with others. Last week, we talked about fear. Today, we're going to talk about relationships because we all have perfect relationships, right? That's good. It's good that we can acknowledge that already because the Lord has a word for you today then. Karate Kid is one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm sure you all are shocked there. Growing up as a kid in the 80s, the very first time I saw Daniel LaRusso. Take on Johnny Lawrence in the All-Valley Karate Tournament. We see that Daniel LaRusso was bullied and picked on and really kind of had a rough go as he moved to California. And then he met Mr. Miyagi, who trained him up to not be a vengeful person, but to put his energy and efforts into karate. And then we have this climatic moment of this movie where he does the crane kick. I I would replicate that, but I don't have that good of a balance anymore. And I don't want to fall off the stage either. But he uses this crane kick and wins the tournament. And we celebrate because the good guy has won. Well, Netflix, being a very smart company, decided to, how do we play on the interests of all those who grew up in the 80s and 90s? And how do we capitalize on that? Let's create a TV show about Cobra Kai about Daniel and Johnny, but now we're 35 years later on. Kind of a, where are they now? And we see in this TV show, Daniel is married, he has children, he has multiple car dealerships, he's living a pretty successful life. But Johnny Lawrence, his life has kind of taken to trage- a trajectory of going downwards, and I'm a downward spiral as, as he has made poor decision after poor decision. Yet somehow, their lives intersect through their children, and they re-engage one another. And we see that now as grown-ups, they try to make peace, but they just can't, because both are prideful, both are arrogant, and sometimes they just refuse to let go of all the issues they dealt with 35 years ago. But something has to happen in order for them to become peaceable with one another. We fast forward to season four. If you haven't watched, I'm going to give a couple spoilers. Nothing more than what we have seen in the trailers. So. But if you're wanting to not know what happened in season four, well, you have to listen to the sermon anyway, so keep your ears open. But in season four, Daniel and Johnny have to work together. They have to somehow get along. And why? Because Sensei John Creese is back in the picture. He was Johnny's master in the first movie, and he was the one that taught that mercy is for the weak. That you defeat your enemies at whatever cost. That meekness was weakness. And so we come to this point in season four where these two have to work together in order for their students to win the All-Valley Karate Tournament. But the issue they're struggling with is they both believe that their methodology of karate is the right one. That the Miyagi-Do is the way, that the Eagle Fang is the way, and the reality is they have to realize in order to defeat their foe, they have to work together. They have to find a middle ground because individually their training wasn't working with the students, and they had to remember that the task at hand, that victory in the tournament was what mattered, and you had to do what it took to win. And so they had to work together in a peaceful and humble manner. The reality is that's very similar to our lives, right? We have this amazing task at hand to make disciples, to do ministry, whether you're a church leader or whether you're a lay person. But so often, we have differences with one another that get in the way of our calling These little disagreements and differences start off as minor, but if left unaddressed, can grow into big things and can lead to gossip and malice and slander and can ruin relationships within the church. And so we have to remember that part of advancing the gospel of Christ is to be at peace with one another in the church. Let me pray. Lord, I pray this morning as we study your word in James that you open our ears and our hearts and our eyes to see what your spirit wants us to see, that you will show us how we need to change our lives in order to live for you, to live into your calling. Lord, I pray for your spirit to convict if there needs to be conviction. I pray for your spirit to encourage if there needs to be encouragement. But Lord, may you be glorified this morning as we study the word. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. And so today, talking about living at peace with one another, we're going to spend some time in James chapter 3, verses 13, through James chapter 4, verse 3. And it reads, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. The background to why James is addressing this earlier in chapter 3 is he's just finished writing about the destructive power of a person's tongue. How the words that a person uses can either tear a person completely down or build them up in astronomical ways. And James was also addressing that for those who desired to teach or those that were already teaching, that many of them were hypocrites because one minute they were praising God with their lips and the next minute they were gossiping, gossiping. Gossiping is a new word. I don't know what translation y'all are using, but they were gossiping. Slander against the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so James now continues this thought that it's not just about words, but it's also about your actions. And so today we're going to be primarily addressing the relationships between believers in today's text. So before we dig into the text... I want to tell you, how do you maintain a peaceful relationship with those that are not believers right now? Number one, unbelievers don't have the Holy Spirit indwelled in them. So we can't hold them to any form of Christian standard. Number two, we cannot expect an unbeliever to understand the convictions that we hold to as followers of Jesus. Because it looks like foolishness to those that do not understand. Number three. We must show unbelievers Jesus in our words and actions and maintain the beliefs and convictions that we learn in the infallible and inerrant word of God. And so with that being said, when we engage unbelievers as followers of Christ, we need to love people like Jesus. We need to give people the hope of Jesus and we need to not be Christian jerks. So who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James begins immediately by asking a rhetorical question. He wants to open up this section of scripture because he wants the reader to examine themselves. The reality is, the way the reader is going to respond is going to answer why, yes, certainly I am both. And so James using wisdom and understanding here together might seem a little bit redundant the way we read it. In fact, when I was in seminary and I had to begin writing papers upon papers, one of the grad assistants, uh, he kind of gave me a tool or I would say a cheat code to use in order to write my papers more effectively. He said, anytime you need to use an adjective, if you double up on it, you'll meet your word requirements much faster. But that's not the case here with James. He's being very intentional and methodical in not just stressing the intellectual aspect of our faith. Wisdom and understanding go together and are a necessity when it comes to peaceful Christian living. And so these words, they might seem similar in our English vocabulary. They are very different in the Greek. Because wisdom, which is sophos, means wise, but it's rooted in the Hebrew word chokmah, which means, or can be looked at as where practice and the belief meet up. Wisdom leads to the fear of God. In Proverbs 9:10, it states that, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom." And so that means a person of wisdom reveres God, respects God, serves God and dedicates their life. To God, because wisdom is the ability to view life, how it should be lived out, how it must be lived out from a godly perspective. And in an understanding, this is the knowledgeable aspect of our faith. It's the book smarts, it's the expertise. You have to have knowledge in order to not be ignorant. And so, knowledge, it can be quantified. You can show someone how much you know, but how do you show someone if you're wise? Your actions. Your behavior. And so these two must go together. James is very intentional at pairing these two words together because he's writing to a Jewish audience. And so the significance of these words being put together is they were often used together in the Old Testament, such as in Deuteronomy 1.13 or Deuteronomy 1.15, Deuteronomy 4.6, and there's a lot more, but we only have 30 minutes. But wisdom and understanding go hand in hand. And James is saying if you want to see someone who is wise, look at their life. And look at their way of life. When you look at the words, by his conduct let him show, we should read it as, he must show good conduct. And how does good conduct look? It's humble. It has good works. The word here is meekness. Right, this is a word that is, associated, is not often associated with strength and power today. And it wasn't back in the first century within Hellenistic culture as well meekness back then was seen as a weakness it was not a well respected thought but meekness is a key to effective christian living especially in the realms of relationships when looking at the greek of the word meekness the term is much stronger than our english term which is being gentle right the word is based or is called prautes and this word can be defined as strength under control it gives the visual imagery of a horse that is being tamed one that has been broken it is still powerful it is still majestic it is still strong but it is submissive to its master that is biblical meekness and that is strength biblical meekness is not wimpy it is not weak we see in numbers 12:3 that moses was the meekest man on earth jesus himself in matthew 11:29, was declared meek Meekness is one of the Beatitudes as you look in Matthew 5.5, 5. and it's also part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. Being meek and being humble shows that you understand that you are truly unworthy before God. Therefore, being meek means that you will not deal with people, whether believers or unbelievers, in an arrogant and prideful manner. James is saying that to be wise, you have to know ju- not just what is right, but you need to do it as well. The theologian Ronald J. Blue gives, wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. It is not a matter of acquiring truth in lectures, but of applying truth to life. The phrase, actions speak louder than words, knowing that true wisdom should have an aim of godly living. Living an honorable life for the Lord. The first question we must do as we examine ourselves is, do our words and our lives match up? Well, but because James is very serious about this task, about living for the Lord, he wants to continue and he needs to continue in verses 14 through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist... There will be disorder and every vile praxis. If you want to have constant strife in your relationships with others, live your life in this manner. This is a how to produce conflict 101 list. And it begins with saying earthly wisdom. This is described as wisdom that is of the earth, that it is not one from the Lord. This is a false wisdom. This is an earthly wisdom. This is an ungodly wisdom. We see all of these negative descriptions. We're kind of like, duh, I know not to do that. Then why do we? Because the reality is, I say that a lot, but the reality is we often fall into this camp more often than the other, which is one of godly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is going to be evident in your life if you have bitter jealousy, This bitter envy is rooted in coveting another person's stuff, another person's way of life. It is a zealous bitterness. We see that zeal for the Lord is good in the word of God. But this zeal that you should have for the Lord, some people were having for bitterness and jealousy. This bitter jealousy, though, is childish. It's immature. And it's one in which someone gets really, really angry when they don't get their way. It's a temper tantrum. That's what bitter jealousy looks like. It's one when a person will harbor ill will towards someone as they covet what that person has. But not just bitter jealousy. Selfish ambition. This is an uncontrolled desire in which a person wants to be pushed to the top. That is their aim in life. It's interesting that the teacher or the philosopher Aristotle taught on this quite often. And when he did, he would link this word to describing partisan politics. And the gains one gets through wrong manners and methods because it's all about whatever it takes to promote yourself. Whoever it takes to step on and step over to get where you want to be because it's about your agenda and it blinds you to the needs of others. That is the destruction of selfish ambition. And the harsh realities that was happening amongst the believers whom James was writing to. And that can easily happen within our church as well if we are not on guard against these things. Ambition is not a bad thing. God gave us ambition. But ambition is meant for the benefit of others, if we look at it biblically. It's not meant for our benefit. And we can see that James addresses these things as in your hearts. It's plural. There are multiple people within the audience that are having these issues based upon their behavior. Because something in their life had caused this bitter jealousy to take root. This selfish ambition to grasp and take hold of their heart there's some sort of dissatisfaction in their life. Does anyone here in here ever feel dissatisfied with life? I know I do. But that is because you have a temporal view on things instead of an eternal perspective. A dissatisfaction with life means you are using earthly wisdom to live out your life. And James continues, well, let me tell you about some characteristics of how earthly wisdom looks. There's boasting and arrogance because it's all about what you know. But what you know, if you're not living it well for the Lord, does not represent the Lord. If what you know and what you live represents God for who he is, then you are humble and you are meek. This false wisdom is false against the truth. It's lying against the truth. He's saying that your words and actions do not line up with the word of God. Your words and actions do not represent God for who he truly is. Your actions are not living into the law of Christ, which is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your soul, and to love your neighbor. This source of worldly wisdom, this false wisdom, earthly wisdom, how it works is that it doesn't have a heavenly point of view. It has a view where it values the wisdom of education, higher education or the, the, the wisdom of philosophers or the earthly wisdom of governments. But we know that these things are all rooted in earthly things. And the word of God says they will all pass away. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24:35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And that is why we as followers of Jesus must always have a heavenly perspective in all things that we do. But this ungodly wisdom isn't just earthly, it's unspiritual. It is opposite of spiritual. It is one where the Holy Spirit is not present. And what that means is your life looks more like that of an unbeliever than of someone that is a regenerated child of God. And it's also demonic. This is a harsh rebuke of worldly wisdom here because he's saying that it is spiritually dead, it is cunning, and it is deceptive. Now, James isn't saying that you're acting like a demon. But what he is saying that is how you are living is so unlike how God calls you to be that Satan will look at your life and give you a thumbs up and say, way to go. It's like that of the tongue being set on fire by hell in James 3.7. Words and actions that are not based upon war, on, on godly wisdom, not based on the fear of God, are based on the schemes of the devil. That is why it is so imperative to live with godly wisdom in your life. And he continues, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, disaster will follow in life, in relationships. This is the result of ungodly wisdom. And the first thing is it's disorder. Disorder. There's restlessness, there's chaos because this is not of God. Selfish ambition will leave you in a state where you are always restless because there is no peace in it. Selfish ambition will bring instability and anarchy into your lives and will bring fighting and fights and arguments and the kinds that can destroy a church and wreck relationship amongst believers. 1 Corinthians 14:33 though tells us that God is a God of order and peace. First John 1.5 tells us that God is a God of life. Therefore, we as followers of Jesus should know that jealousy and selfish ambition are not from God or from God, of God or from God. And this will lead to every vile practice. Imagine an evil that no good can come from. It's one where fruit cannot be bore or cultivated. You'll look like my friend Mr. Disorder here. But the Spirit doesn't want us to live like this. And neither does James as he is writing this letter. And so we see that in these words, James is very serious about accountability when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to growing in your faith. But he is also an encourager because you don't just focus on the negative when you're trying to build up others with the word so we see in verses 17 and 18, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And with that, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James gives a solution to avoid these things, the what to do in order to live a life based upon, the use, based upon using godly wisdom. If you want to live life in a peaceful manner with others, look to the following. A pure wisdom... Again, this begins with the fear of the Lord. This pure hognos, wisdom in Greek, is free. This pure is free. is is free of the corruption of everything that James just listed in the previous verses. This pure wisdom is the key to having godly wisdom. And first, it's peaceable. It is peace-loving. It is peace-seeking. And it is peace-practicing. In Romans 12, 18, it tells us that if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Living peaceable is an aim for believers in how to live life. And living in a peaceable manner doesn't mean that you're a doormat to be walked all over, because we are also called to hold our brothers and sisters accountable in truth and in grace. Allowing a fellow believer to live in a sinful manner is not being peaceful, but to be gentle, Submissive and considerate of others. We are willing to gather all the facts necessary before we respond and give our thoughts. Today's culture, our immediate response is to clap back, right? In our words and actions, our, we're going to just respond immediately. The word of God tells us that we pause, we process, and we examine our hearts always. Not just when we want to, not just when it's convenient, but always before we respond to people this godly wisdom is open to reason. It's reasonable. It's real, being willing to yield to other people. It's willing to take correction. It's willing to have a conversation with another patient, with another person. There is no my way or the highway within this. And as I was prepping this week, this is really where my heart was tugged on this aspect. Because this is where I find church, churches and believers struggle the most often. Right, I found that believers get hung over the most minor of things, like music, the way we're supposed to dress in church, the traditions, carpet color, pews or chairs. I've seen arguments on different pages that I follow about these very things, even viewpoints on doctrines that are secondary or tertiary. Let me tell you, it is good And it is healthy, and you must have healthy discussions to grow in your wisdom. But it is okay to have disagreements. It is not okay if you are hostile and angry in these interactions, though. That is not of God. And because of that, we should not cancel our brothers and sisters over secondary issues. It's no bueno. In fact, we should be full of mercy We should be actively sympathetic to others in need. There should be good fruits. There should be good works. Our kind and helpful deeds to others. And not a reactive one, but a proactive. How can I serve you? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How is your soul? It is impartial. It's not double-minded or two-faced. It doesn't show favoritism. You don't just go and love on the ones that are easy to you or the ones that can benefit you. You love all. Unselfish ambition. Godly ambition, that is how you live. It is sincere, it is without hypocrisy. So how it looks is what it really is. There's no hidden agendas or hidden motives. That's another struggle for a lot of us relationally, right? We often want to manipulate or have a person conform to kind of our agenda on what we want. That's not godly. Our job is not to manipulate people. Our job is to love people and disciple people. All relationships, whether you're a parent, a spouse, or a friend, please don't ever try to manipulate someone to meet your needs because that does not honor the Lord. So these are encouraging words of what to do or very strong words of how we should live. And I want to be very real with you all because you are either pursuing pure wisdom or you're not. That may sound harsh, but there is no half-hearted pursuit of pure wisdom. But let me encourage you. If you are striving for pure wisdom and you fall short, there is grace upon grace to be had. There are new mercies every morning. If we truly desire to live at peace with others, we cannot get comfortable and complacent in our pursuit of godly, pure wisdom. And what happens when you live out pure wisdom? In living out pure wisdom, you're going to bear fruit. You will experience harmony with God. You will experience peace with others because this godly and pure wisdom, as you cultivate it with careful effort and attention, you will live into it. You will be like my friend Mr. Peace. These attributes are the ones we strive to live by. These are the ones that we should desire to live by. But the reality is, if you're not a believer, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, you will not be able to discern how to live at peace with others. This hope that Jesus gives for eternity is also a hope that you can have in your relationships with others. The belief that Jesus is Lord, that only he can rescue you from the destructive forces of evil and hell and give you access to God and all of his benefits through his burial, death, and resurrection. This saving faith allows the Holy Spirit to indwell your soul and the Spirit will give you the godly wisdom that you need to leave in a peaceable, peaceable manner with all those that you encounter. You cannot have peace, true, real peace, unless you are a follower of Jesus. And we transition into chapter 4. Understanding that the original letter that James wrote didn't contain verses or chapters, we see a clear continuation of the results of living a life in which ungodly wisdom is used. We We see where quarrels will be rampant and they will wreck relationships in and outside the church. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Again, when we look at quarrels and fights, it's plural. Thus signifying that this is a continuous issue as opposed to a one-time issue. This is a major issue that must be dealt with immediately. These things must be dealt with immediately. That way they don't fester and grow. Because again, we will always have arguments and disagreements. Because we're not identical. We were all each created in the image of God with different gifts and abilities. But we should never have constant malicious strife. Tension is not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing if your sinful flesh is not under control. And James talks about your passions and your desires. This internal strife that we have within ourselves could lead to external conflict. Because when you are not self-examining your soul, when you are not checking yourself, it will lead to conflict. And the English word for passions comes from that of hedonism which is living for self, living to satisfy your own desires. That is the chief goal of life. That is selfish ambition. And living in such a manner will cause severe relationship issues. That's a guarantee. You will never be able to to deal with conflict in a biblical manner or have a biblical resolution until you deal with the issues of your own heart. And the reason why they have relationship issues is a jealousy We're all jealous at times. That's one of the great things about having a flesh, right? But we can respond in a godly manner. If you go to the Lord immediately when you are experiencing jealousy and saying, Lord, rescue me from this snare, he will deliver you from it. This jealousy was so bad that it was like murder. And he wasn't saying that church members were literally killing each other. But he was saying that this animosity between believers was like that of murder. As Jesus gave in the Beatitudes, if you hate your brother, you may as well murder them. Ungodly wisdom and bitter jealousy, when it takes root in your mind and your heart, will cause you to hate your fellow brother or sister. And so what's missing in their lives that all this is happening? Well, we see that they are lacking in life because of the way that they pray. The way we pray or do not pray will reveal our hearts and our heart's focus or desires. Let me be clear here. This passage is not justifying prayers go up, blessings come down. This is not a pro-prosperity gospel statement. What this is is James is saying you are praying wrong. You're asking for things that won't satisfy your soul. You're asking for things in which only your fleshly desires will be fulfilled and these things will not last. Praying in this manner is telling that you are saying, God, I need you to acquiesce to me instead of me conforming to you. You're looking for satisfaction in all of the wrong places. And the reality is we will never have true satisfactions apart from the Lord. And this will lead to frustration not just with God but with others and cause disharmony. Prayer must be focused on asking God to give you the things that will align your will with his will. Prayer should always be focused on aligning your heart with his heart. The things that help you grow and become more and more like Jesus. And so when it comes to relationships, how is your heart? Because the way your relationships are affected by you is because of you. It's not a, why why don't they change? They're the ones that stink. We are all rotten. We go unchecked and so today as we look to move on in life and how do i live at peace with others we have to ask ourselves some very serious questions and i want you to think as we go through these questions am i a peacemaker am i living for myself or am i living for others am i actively looking to live peaceably with everyone Am I living into the, the passage of Philippians 2 3? Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Being a peacemaker, do you want to be one? How do you need to strive after pure wisdom in your life beginning today? How does your heart need to change in order to be a peacemaker? How do you need to pray? Or how do you need to change the way that you pray in order to live peaceably with others? This last question right here, I want you all to think. Is there someone who you need to make peace with right now in your life? Maybe the Spirit is prompting you saying, hey, I need to go talk to this person because we're not living at peace. I want to encourage you to write that name down right now. We're going to pause for just a second so you all can write this name down. Because God wants you to be at peace with this person. As followers of Jesus, we want to emulate these words in John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Lord, as we have studied in your word today, on how we must live peaceably with others and how to live peaceably with others, Father, may re- re- really reveal our own hearts because the solution is to live for you, Lord. If we are at peace with you, we can be at peace with others, Father. Lord, if there is a spouse, a child or a family member, maybe a friend or a coworker that we are having bitterness and strife between, Lord, we ask you to remove the arrogance and pride in our lives. Lord, may your spirit convict us to be peacemakers. May we find satisfaction in you alone, Lord, and may we choose wisdom, your wisdom over the false wisdom of this world in order to live lives in which we can become more like your son, Jesus. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, Lord. We thank you for the free gift of eternal life through a saving faith in Christ alone. All glory goes to you forever and ever, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for that challenge, Pastor Chang. Uh, The stuff that that we just heard, uh, living at peace with one another, um, loving each other, that's not something that's real easy to do. For some, some it's easier than others, but it's not something that we can do in our own strength. Um, This next song that we're going to sing as a response to what we just heard is based on uh, one of my favorite verses. It's Galatians 2.20. It says that I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ does it through us. We don't do it in our own strength. So let's stand together as we sing that truth over each other. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. gift of grace is from Jesus, our Redeemer. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more
1: for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to Him. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing, all that is mine, yet not I. is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley. He will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome. Yet not.
0: No fate I dread, I know I am here. fear, the
1: future sure, the price it has been paid, for Jesus fled and suffered for my pardon, and He was raised to earth. I hope my sin has been defeated, Jesus now and ever is my free, oh the chains are released, I can sing, I am
0: breath. With every breath,
1: I want to follow Jesus, for He has said that He will bring me home. And day by day, I know He will renew me until I stand with joy. I hope, my hope is only Jesus, all oh, the glory evermore to Him. When the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I but the Christ To this I hold. To this I hold. My hope is only Jesus All the glory evermore to Him When the race is complete Still my lips shall repeat Yet not I but through Christ in me When the race is complete Still my lips Shall repeat? Yet not, I, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ
0: in me. As we close, um, if any of you want to be prayed with, with an elder, with, with uh, Pastor Chang, we'll be. Stationed down here across the front. You can come down at your convenience and uh, someone will pray with you. Let me speak this benediction over you this morning. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit rest and abide in us one and all. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace.